You're listening to A Late Discovery, a Texas side story of hidden secrets and jailhouse redemption. Now here it is, the finale, part five. Life without parole? What I learned from him was what he had told me and then I eventually learned through my own research was he was what they called referred to as a 10-6 lifer in Louisiana. And the really short version of a 10-6 lifer is in 1972 and prior to that, if you were given a life sentence, you can either be given a life sentence or life without parole. If you were given a life sentence, you were eligible for release in 10 years and six months after your sentence date. So he had been sentenced at a time where he was eligible for release after 10 years and six months. In late 1972, he was sentenced in April. Late 1972 was when the Supreme Court did the moratorium on the death penalty. And all of these death row prisoners in Louisiana suddenly became life prisoners. They weren't life without parole because they didn't use that. And they didn't like the idea of letting out, of possibly letting out death row prisoners in 10 years and six months because it it wasn't even a parole. It was just a literal release. Wow. So the legislator met said we shouldn't let people with life sentences out in 10 years and six months. We are going to say, if you were given life, you have to do at least 20 years before you're eligible for release. But the odd thing Louisiana did, and I would have to really dig deep into the law, but I pretty, it feels unconstitutional to me. If it's not, it should be. They retroactively applied that to every prisoner currently in the prison. So my father made a plea agreement to take life with the opportunity of getting out in 10 years and six months in less than a year into his sentence, the goalpost got moved to 20 years. Wow. So that was 1973. Fast forward to their next legislative session, which I think is 76. The legislator met again and said, 20 years for life is not long enough. We should do 40 years. So now he's six or he's four years into a 10-6 sentence. And they take it and say, if you were given life, you have to serve 40 years. And we're retroactively applying that to everybody that is doing life right now. So now he's four years into a sentence. It was supposed to be 10 years and six months. And he's now looking at 40. Fast forward three more years yet again. They meet again and say, we don't like this in Louisiana. If we give you life, it's life and you will die in here. And they retroactively applied that and made every prisoner serving life a life without parole sentence. Oh, wow. So he went from going in believing that he was going to do 10 years and six months to seven years into his sentence. He had a life without parole sentence. Wow. And that stayed that way actually until 2017 In 2017, the legislator met and said, we've messed up. We sentenced guys to a 20-year life and a 40-year life and then made them life without parole, and we shouldn't have done that. So they made the 20-year lifers and the 40-year lifers eligible for parole and forgot that they had back then probably 50 or 60 guys that were 10-6 lifers and didn't apply it to them. It only applied to the 20s and the 40s. I knew something when I was hearing the story, I knew there was some weird little like moment where something was missed. Yes. Wow. So so that was it. Okay. That was 2017. 
Okay. In 2021, they had a legislative session and a guy, I, I cannot, his name's going to escape me, but the DA for Orleans Parish finally addressed 10-6 lifers and said, it, by then it was, I think, 45, maybe 50 guys that were doing 10-6 life stokes. You have to remember, all of these were men over the age of 18 that were sentenced in 72 or before. So no, we're not talking about any young folks here. This is not guys. They're all older men by this point. These are all men in their 60s or 70s. Mm -hmm. He brings this bill before legislator and says, I want to have permission because most of them are from Orleans Parish because that's where their biggest population is. He said, I would like legislation that allows me as the DA to revisit a sentence. And if the prosecuting district attorney's office and the court that gave the sentence can get together and agree we can resentence these people to something that would allow them release or parole. What he did, I think his name is Jason Davis. What he did was he immediately started addressing 10 sixers and basically he would bring them to court after the, after he is the DA met with the court that sentenced them. And he would say, Tana has done 50 years and six months. And we would like to sentence Tana to 50 years, six months and one day and that following day, you'd bounce out of prison. So um, he started doing that for everybody sentenced in Orleans Parish. My father was sentenced in Caddo Parish. And the flip side to this was it wasn't a law that required anybody to do anything. It was a law that offered that okay. as an option to a district attorney's office in a court. So I reached out to his DA's office. Mm-hmm. And talked to them and you know, said, you know, he, he, is, he is not your case, but I need advice because I don't know how to address this. And I told them, and I, I mean, I've said it so many times since then, I can't say how long somebody should do for murder. That's outside of my decision-making right. ability. But I can say if you told somebody the, that they were eligible for parole in 10 years and six months, they should have always been eligible for parole since that date. Yeah. So that's up to the courts to decide at that point. And he walked me through it. I contacted um, the Caddo Parish district attorney, got a hold of the people that were dealing with that on their end. And we worked on that. And I say worked on it. Basically I had to get his whole prison file together as a brief, even though I'm not an attorney, a brief to explain why he should be eligible for release and send it to them for review. Well, I got that all put together, sent it to them for review And they basically put a big pause on it and said, we're going to get back to you. We're going to get back to you. We're going to get back to you. And finally, one time it would have been probably. Probably December, January, February of either late 21 or early 22. When I got a hold of the lady that the DA that was over their um, appeals process, she said, you know, we're really not sure if we're going to be willing to do this or not. And really, Orleans Parish and I think one or two other parishes are the only ones so far that have considered resentencing anybody. Most of the other DAs have looked at it and been like, nah, I'm not doing it because I don't have to. Yeah. So she said, but I think there's some legislation that's coming up that could help your father and you should look into that. So by now, I mean, we're, my father and I are still back and forth weekly Yeah. and I, and you know, inmates keep up with the law that could affect them. So I hit him up and said, are you hearing anything about this? 
And he said, well, I've heard some things. Here's the bill number that I think it is, but I, I haven't read it. I haven't seen it. And it was a bill that specifically addressed 10 Sixers and basically made them all immediately eligible for parole. It wouldn't release them, but it made them eligible for a parole hearing. Oh, I see. And the other thing at that same time, and I had contacted, I'd actually contacted this group before. There's a group in Louisiana called the Louisiana Parole Project. And they were working, they're basically a reentry group. If you come yeah. out of prison and you want to work with them, they help you reintegrate into a world that you haven't been in a long time. Yeah. The man that runs that group was part of a of a resentencing that happened much earlier where they used to put give life without parole to juveniles for offenses. Right. Yeah. He was a life without parolee juvenile that was eventually released and started this organization. So I had contacted the organization and they basically had told me earlier that we can't help him because he's currently life without parole and we only work with parolees. So, I mean, it was kind of just, that was that. Yeah. So when this new legislation came up, I did some backdoor work because I knew that they worked with LSU and found <laughs> basically what they do is they use LSU late year law students to help <laughs> do all the briefs for parole, for parole hearings. Yeah. So I dove into LSU's law school directory, found somebody that worked for Parole Project, and emailed them. Of course you did. Hmm. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I got a hold of this wonderful, lady, this wonderful lady who works with him, who says, you know, send me your dad's info. If you've got his mm-hmm. case file, like you say, send me that, and I'll look at it. So I sent it to him, and the guy that runs the Parole Project name is Andrew Hundley. And I had been messaging him, like, you know, if you send somebody a message on Facebook, they don't really see it. It goes in that hidden message folder if they don't know yep. you. Yep. So I've been yep. messaging him constantly, just trying to get somebody to talk to me. I've been on the Pearl Project's Instagram page, commenting on every random post I can, thinking maybe someone will just get tired of me and ask me what my problem is. <laughs> so instead, I got a Facebook message finally back from Andrew that says, hey, I, I, I knew your dad in prison. We were in there together. And I want to talk to you about this legislation. So he explained to me that they had brought legislation that made them that that could make them eligible for parole. It was still early on. The legislation had to go through the Senate Criminal Justice Committee, the House Criminal Justice Committee, and eventually land on the Senate House floors to get voted on. So we talked about it. I said, you know, all I need to know is what I can do to help you because I'm, I'm game to help. And he said, well, I'll let you know. We'll figure it out. In the meantime, while all this is going on, Tana's mom and I had got the bright idea that my sister who has cancer had wanted to get married um, in Vegas. So we arranged for her to go to Vegas and get married. And she wanted me, my sister wanted me to come, me and my wife to come to be the witness to her wedding. So on the Wednesday of her wedding in Vegas, I get a call from Andrew who says, Hey, on Monday, could you come and testify at the Senate? Holy crap. (laughs) <laughs> so we got her married yep. spent two more days in vegas yep. got home saturday and sunday i packed all my crap and drove to louisiana and met um they by then they had an orleans parish 10-6 lifer hmm. that had gotten out through the resentencing that they brought in to kind of use as an example, because people need to see that, you know, sure. yeah. 
we're not releasing me at 50 years old that might reoffend, might not reoffend. You're releasing some elder. I mean, they're all in their seventies now. Yeah. yeah. When this, if it gives you an idea when this started, there were 50 of them outside of the, and that's not counting the ones that they've released so far. There are 10 less now of people that have just aged out and died in prison. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. they're, they're not hanging around long. So they bring some of these guys in for the legislators to see this, this is the people we're talking about. Yeah. And then they brought me in to explain my experience with my father and um, just the change that I had seen that there were some, and you know, there were some of these guys that had changed at the same time. And I, I don't know all of them. There could be a Charles Manson in the bunch that even if they had right. given him a 10, six, he probably needs to stay. Yeah. But the, but that it was at least worth as a legislative body looking at it because not all of them were that. Yeah. Yep. So the Senate committee approved it to go to their floor. They voted on it. It passed with no problem. I got called back to testify at the house committee. The house committee voted on it, said it was fine. Sent it to the house floor. Then it was, and I think that was in early June in mid-June, it finally landed on the House floor. The House voted on it, approved it. I sat there like this, staring at the computer screen, watching right. the Louisiana House, which I never thought I'd care about. Right. Put on something. <laughs> you know, just a little yeah. light viewing. <laughs> yeah. So that passed. And then it became, you know, I called Andrew back. I was like, okay, it's passed. Now what? And he said, well, you've helped us with this. And we want to get your father before a parole board. And I think by that time he was probably number three or four of the guys they had left that had spent the longest amount of time in prison. So they said, you know, we've got you to come testify for him that it, and a lot of these guys, it's sad. And this, this is some police experience and just life experience. Yeah. People that end up in these situations don't come from really great, stable homes and neighborhoods. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most of these guys' families are dead and gone. There's very yeah. few of these guys you meet that have family that can come speak for them at all. Yeah. yeah. So he was kind of a unique situation because he had somebody that was in his family that could come speak about it. So they worked at it and he had his parole hearing on Wednesday. Like as in? Wednesday. Yes. Right. As in today is Monday, I think. Monday. And we're talking about Wednesday as in just, you know, however many days ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. Catch my breath again. It's okay. So he had he had his parole hearing. And he walked out the gate on Thursday. Yep. Yep, that's exactly what happened on Thursday. And he and I and his close friend that's been with him for 30 years, that's worked with him to help him get out before I ever knew he existed, got to spend the last three and a half days in a hotel with him. Oh my gosh, Brad. The pictures, you know, I was getting the... The through the family photographs, yeah. the two of you, the big hug. And I mean, just beautiful, just beautiful. I mean, that in and of itself, that was cool. The, the parole hearing was amazing because it's not, 
um, for the parole hearing, they prefer inmate families to go to the prison and participate through Zoom with the inmate. Yeah. So I actually got to sit for, gosh, four or five hours in a room with, um, gosh, I think there were 12 other parole hearings that day. And I didn't, we didn't stay through all of them, but only one guy got denied. So there's just guy after guy getting a chance. Yeah. So we have got to spend, you know, his first free day together, his first free meal together. Where'd y'all go? What'd y'all do? Um, Really not a lot. I mean, and I wanted to be really slow because I remind myself constantly. 1972 to today is so so far removed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, day one, he he, he basically said, he said, I don't care where you take me. Like, no, that's not going to work. Yeah. 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 You have to tell, I'll pick a restaurant, but you got to tell me what you want to eat. Yeah. So he yeah. wanted grilled catfish. So we found a place that did grilled catfish. We hung out, ate, went back to the hotel and literally just caught up like normal people for the first time. And the first time I've ever gotten to know. Um, after that, the next day we went out to in downtown Baton Rouge. There's a nice little walk along the Mississippi river. I took him up there because it was just a place where you were free. Yeah. It was a nice day. There was nobody around you. So we did that for a day, um, met some other guys that he had been in with for quite a while that had been paroled before him. Some of them came to say hi to him at the hotel. So I got to meet some of his old time friends, um, through all of this, my brother on his side has also gotten back in touch with him and has been spending a lot of time talking to him, which has been a beautiful thing. And now I am yeah, probably about three weeks from picking him up in Louisiana and bringing him back to Texas. He's already been approved to come to Texas to live. Oh, he has. <laughs> Why did that happen faster than I thought it would? They, they actually, they approved it. We weren't sure if the parole board would approve it, but the state of Texas accepted it and the parole board approved it as part of his hearing. So he's in, I dropped him off Sunday with his friend at a transitional house in Baton Rouge where they basically it's the parole projects, transitional house where they work through, you know, he's never owned a debit card in his life. Yeah. Just he's trying to help seen his face at a CVS. When we walked up to a self checkout counter counter, took the scan gun, scanned <laughs> things. I mean, think about that and just oh. all that he's having to process. Yeah. I mean, everything is new. So, he's, much. so they'll help him get a driver's license. He'll learn to use a debit card get on food stamps, get set up for SSI, just all the stuff that you've got to logistically do. They set him up. And once that's done, I will pick him up and drive him back to Texas. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I think what, I think the day that all that was going down, I I, I didn't have any words. I think I was like, Wow, this is a really big wow. Like, I didn't know what else to say. I still don't. I, I think it's that moment when you're like, this is something. Like, I I don't know. I was the words holy crowned were sort of like those were pulsing through me when you were talking about sitting with your dad, you know, days before he passed and having this conversation. 
And then I think about these days with Jim, you know, and if we aren't people of grace, then we are nothing. Like, just no. Like, I am so beyond thankful that this is this part of the story. And it feels holy. It just feels holy ground. And I am just standing on the sidelines with a big wow for you and for him and just the whole thing in the middle of so much. We talk a lot on here about the both and, you know, life's complex and there's a lot of nuance and there's both and, and we want to hold all of that together. And you've shared so much of your story. And this is something to celebrate. Yeah. This is this is a little moment of redemption, of hope. It's, it's been amazing. I, I look forward. Yeah. It's just, I never went, and, and all the stuff I'm saying, he and I have had all of these conversations. Yeah. I told him we were sitting in the hotel room. I said, I remember three years ago sitting on the couch with Pam going, well, I mean, yeah, he, he, he murdered somebody. Yeah. But the one thing that we don't have to worry about is he's never getting out of prison. All right. Yeah. <laughs> now you're like in a hotel with him. <laughs> and you did it. <laughs> you got him out. Yeah, participated. I mean, what in the world? So in the world? It's, it's been such a weird turn forever. I mean, oh. and Pam was the one that brought that up before that. She was like, you realize that we all talked about we're, he's never getting out. And now you've been to the legislature twice. And now you're going to tell the parole board they should let him out. And I'm like, yeah, things changed. <laughs> <laughs> a lot has changed in just a couple of yeah. years, Brad. Oh my goodness! What do you think? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, no, 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 because no, I don't even know what I was saying. My my brain is. <laughs> I mean, I think you know that when we say like that just happened, like it's Monday. You just spent the weekend with him, mm-hmm. so I mean, we'll have to maybe have a follow up episode. You know, give us this like six months, and we'll come back to you with a little follow up. Once you've had uh, you know more than twenty four yeah, hours to clear your mind. process. Um. You know, like what, where, what's now? I mean, we've just lost a dear part of our family with our aunt. You now have this new relationship with Jim that's taken a different shape. Like, you know, where, where's your heart and mind and head now? I'm just, uh, I, w- I was talking to Pam earlier today. I'm just settling on all the weights seem to finally be coming off because I've still got mom with Alzheimer's. Yeah. We finally found a memory care place for her yeah. that she likes and wants to go to. So things are finally getting lighter where I don't constantly feel the weight of everything, which yeah. is good. And at the same time, it's a very panicky feeling. A little unsettling. But yeah. It's totally unsettling because my nose has been to the grindstone for one thing or another for three years. Yeah. And now you need to be present with him. Right. And present with her in this new stage of health, right? Yeah, and I think hers hers will be a huge yeah. improvement for her because she'll be in a place that helps her better and she likes better. Yeah. yeah. He, I can start having, I mean, it's people don't think about all the weird little things. When he was in prison, if I missed my Monday 7 o'clock call, I can't call him back. Right. So, I mean, everything's scheduled around... If I was not holding my phone in my hand at seven o'clock, or if I missed it, I, if I went to the bathroom and came back and I missed it, that's it. You're done. Yeah. 
I actually around one o'clock today cracked up because I think they were in cell phone class because I got a selfie of him. Oh, oh stop God. it. Stop it. Stop it. That's amazing. In cell phone class. Your 70 I mean, plus year old fathers in cell phone class. Yes, I, I can't trust my 70 year old parents and in-laws that have had them with their phones. So he's, <laughs> so he's, he's her, learning to use the cell phone. And I guess it's oh like, take gosh. a selfie and send it to somebody and show us you oh did it. So That's amazing. I, I am. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. It's so good. So, I, you know, I really, the, the what's next yeah. is probably a, a step back and take a breath for a minute. Cause good. at some point I've got to do it. Yes. Good. good. There's a part of me now that's done with this, that really wants to address my mom, not the living mom, but the mom I never gotten to meet. Yeah. Her grave, not far. I've never yeah. been ready to do that. Yep. But I need closure there still too. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's part of it. Um, my sister, y'all yeah. there, yeah. there's finally, yeah. you know, with him, there was this urgency of, we have a very small timeline to get this done because outside of the fact they approved the legislation, finally, they have a new governor coming in. So basically the governor that's been in there now, and I don't, I do not know his name, but the governor in Louisiana now has let more men go on parole and commuted sentences than got out in the past eight years by the other governor. Wow. And the wow. new governor coming in is likely to swing that way back in the other direction where nobody's walking out. So there was a very compressed timeline to feel like we could get this done and be successful. So now it's finally time to enjoy him, yeah. but also focus on all the people that I've basically had to ignore to some level trying to get all this done. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Brad, I've oh. got a question as we finish up here. Shoot. We've, I, first, thank you for That's just it. sharing. Yeah. Um. I said it at the beginning, you know, of our time together, just thanking you ahead of time for the emotional labor. Like you've allowed us to sit with you in some holy places as we've talked. And um, I really appreciate it. As we're finishing this particular time, I think we'll need an update. And sometime we'll, we'll get on a little, we'll have a little Brad update. Um, you know, what, for those that have stuck with this story, and our parenting through adoption or parenting children in foster care or in families, blended families, you know, unique family situations. I think they've heard us pretty loud and clear. Mm -hmm. Secrets aren't good. So like, that's true. We know that in developmentally appropriate stages and ages, please reveal truth to your children. Okay. It's their story. Don't shape it. Don't twist it. Don't polish it up. Don't exaggerate it. Yeah. Share it truthfully. Do you have anything else? Like, is there something that you're like, oh, I just want the parents to know this, you know, from your own lived experience? Do you have any closing words? I think it's, and they're not really, it's the opposite of my experience. And it's something I've learned. I got really into Lori Holden's podcast about a month and a half ago and she writes for adopting.com. And I, if you told me I was gonna be listening to a bunch of adoptive parents podcast, I'd have been like, probably not. Cause I get frustrated <laughs> in a lot of those. 
Yeah. Yeah. But what she's talked about that I keep preaching people now is to understand that open adoption isn't, has nothing to do with contact. I mean, Mm -hmm. contact is great if it exists, but it's, it's the, I've seen you do it, Donna, with the openness with your kids, as far as, you know, days that they're not thrilled, they're adopted. There's a space for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is something I didn't have in my life. I mean, and I think that's one of the reasons my adoption was hidden from me is my mom could not accept that side of things. So it's best just not to talk about it. Yeah. And the same thing as, you know, as a 50 year old man to struggle in reunion and curiosity about your biological family, because your parents aren't willing to do it with you. Make that a 10 year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I guess uh, somebody, I, I'm trying to think how I worded it the other day because I don't have the right words right now. It, it was something to the effect of basically, you know, if, if you're not ready to deal with all of those things, the, the questions about where did I come from? Why, why am I like this? What if I want to know my biological family? If you can't, if you're not ready to touch those you're probably not ready to adopt kids and that's going to make people mad, but it's, it's just the fact of life that you've, that's comes with it because we're all yep. curious about where we come from. Yep. I mean, I just, for those that might not know what that was, that was me snapping in um, solidarity with you. <laughs> if you can't go to the places that your children are, don't adopt them. Like if you can't walk into the place that is their truth, don't do it. Like, your parents not talking to you about it didn't make it not true. You were left to do it alone. That's right. Like, so it's not like, yeah, if that's not what you are interested in, then adoption probably isn't for you. If you've already adopted and you haven't done that, then I would strongly say, surround yourself with people, listen to stories like Brad's like, you know, learn, be curious, go see a therapist, process what's going on in you, process what your barriers are, and then do it anyway. Like if you are like if you don't want to do it, well, you need to do that. I mean, it's yeah. So ditto. That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> I don't really care if we make people frustrated. Like it's it's the truth. Like if you're going to parent, parent the babies that are in your home, go to the places your babies are. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I'll, I'll tag onto that and say, cause I just briefly kind of glossed over it. My mom and I have had a horribly hard relationship. We're just, we're, we're different people to begin with, but we, we've really struggled. And I think, and this is all conjecture on my part. She's got Alzheimer's. She can't tell me what she thinks, yeah. but, or at least logically, but all of the struggles I see us having is she really needed a baby to come and love her wholeheartedly and always want her and always be okay with her. And you don't get that automatically with adoption. You get a baby that's looking for a place that it was for nine months. It can't find it. That's right. And I think had she done her work, put me in a place to do my work and we had known about all this, we could have worked through that and been a very, been in a very different relationship than the relationship we had. That's right. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I was telling somebody this other day, the work sucks. It's none of it is fun. Yeah, that's 
That's right. It's not fun for the adoptee. It's not fun for the adopt parents. It's not fun for anybody. Yep. But when it's done, it makes everything so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate what you even saying that, Brad, because I, I would, you know, not saying Mark and I've done it perfect. We have not. And we have shared that openly. You can just go listen to any other episode. We have not. But one of the things we do talk about as honestly as we can are those relationship struggles. Are those attachment struggles on both sides of that relationship? Like having honest conversations about those biological places that are missing for for us and our kids so that we can collaborate together to build that place of connection. Because, they're you know, our kids are getting a little older, so we get to talk about it a little bit differently. But I appreciate you sharing that. I think for adoptive parents, y'all go through home studies and basically you have to have somebody bless you to say you're okay to adopt a kid. Yep. And then you find yourself in the space where if you have to jump through all those hoops to feel like you can adopt a kid, then you have to be perfect all the time. I have three biological kids and I promise I don't, it is now six o'clock before I go to bed tonight, about nine 30 or 10, I will screw something up with one of my own biological kids. There it is. Because I just do it. Yeah. Yeah. None of us, none of us adoptive parents, biological parents, none of us are going to get it perfect. We're not. right. That's why we all go to therapy is we all talk about our parents. My kids will go to therapy when they'd be like, do you know what my dad did to me? And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. So yeah. true. Yeah. You're right. We're just being human, learning and growing together. And um, I do think you're right. And I appreciate your, your thoughtfulness to put your finger on that. Cause there is an extra layer of like the need to be perfect because well, it's just, it's just layered and nuanced, but um, we were on another episode that I think will air before we air this one. And it's with our dear friend, Carissa. Mm-hmm. And I'll repeat what she said because it will have already aired. And I wrote it down. And the little saying was, if we could all be softer and kinder to ourselves and others, the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're, you know, that's what we're talking about. Just being soft and kind to ourselves and, and others. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Sharing with, sharing with our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, this is incredible. Um, it, no, uh, no uh, chance for you to turn this down. We have to have you back on at some okay. point soon. Yeah. <laughs> to I love talk come back on anytime. That's Woo-hoo. great. I'll take it. Um, well, this has been awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give give Pam my love. Thanks. I will. Thanks, JD. You've been listening to A Late Discovery, a Texas-sized story of hidden secrets and jailhouse redemption from Empowered to Connect. For more on this, for more on Empowered to Connect as an organization, our podcast, anything you'd like to discuss, check out our Mighty Network's online community at the link in our bio, the link in our show notes, or um, at empoweredtoconnect.org. A Late Discovery is a production of Empowered to Connect, Thanks to Tana Ottinger. Thanks to our guest, Brad Yule. Thanks to everybody here at the team at Empowered to Connect. To Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio. And Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next time on the Empowered to Connect podcast. Bye.